Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. This episode is part of a special series we're producing as part of the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can find more podcasts and other free resources on the ECRI website in our COVID-19 Resource Center. We're recording this podcast from our respective home offices as we practice and certainly encourage all of you to practice good social distancing. Today, we're talking about the statistical models used to try to understand the future of the pandemic and some key questions both consumers and healthcare provider organizations should ask as they evaluate these models and judge how much or how little to rely on them. To get us started, I'll ask our guest to introduce himself. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris Jepson, and I'm a research analyst at ECRI. So, Chris, let's start with some basics. We're talking about statistical models here. Um, what is a statistical model? Well, without getting too technical, um, a statistical model can be thought of as essentially a mathematical equation. Uh, on the right-hand side of the equals sign, you've got a variable which is your outcome, and that's the thing you're trying to predict. In this case, it might be, for example, the number of people admitted to ICUs uh, with COVID-19 over the next month in New York City, let's say. Then on the left side of the equal sign, you've got a set of variables, and those are your predictors. And the predictors are all factors that you uh, have discovered that, you know, that are in some way related to the outcome. Um, examples might be the transmission rate um, and the duration of the infection. When a person has it, how long are, do they remain um, uh, contagious? So as long as there is some relationship between the predictors and the outcome, knowing the value of a predictor variable allows you to make a guess about the value of the outcome variable. And that's pretty much what a statistical model is. You know, I hear a lot of times, Chris, we talk about, you talk about the, the predictors that go on the, on the, like you said, the left-hand side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And, and we sometimes hear about the assumptions that are made. Um, so I guess, are, are, are the assumptions and the predictors, are they synonymous? And, and maybe you can give me an example of what, what we say, what we're meaning when we say that a model relies on assumptions. Sure. So yeah, when you build a model, um, you do have to make assumptions of various kinds. And um, one obvious one is just as you said, is which predictors you want to include. Hmm. Um, If you fail to include some factor that has an important relationship with the outcome, then your prediction is going to be less accurate. And perhaps one example of that um, might in this case might be the reinfection rate. Um, That's something that people have talked a lot about with COVID-19. Once you've had it, uh, can you get it again? And that's something 
we'd like to be able to include in the model, but we just don't know the answer to that. And so we really can't include it. Um, other kinds of assumptions that you make when you build a model include um, how each predictor relates to the outcome, um, which is often represented by a weight uh, that you assign to each of the uh, predictors. And uh, there's also one important assumption is the assumption that your data, um, that is the value of each predictor variable that you plug into this equation is accurate. When, when you talk about, you know, the weight that we give to the different assumptions is make sure I understand it right. You know, we're, we're maybe saying in this scenario, well, you know, we think the reinfection rate is really important, but the rate of, and I'm making something up here, you know, but the weather uh, is probably, is maybe less important. So mm -hmm. while the weather maybe plays a small factor, the reinfection rate is a much more important factor. And so we're going to give that greater weight in our, mm -hmm. in our model. Is that sort of mm -hmm. the right way to think about it? Pretty much, yeah. And it also is a way of sort of putting all of the factors onto the same metric um, mm. so that you're not adding apples and oranges. Gotcha. So how are these models used? Um, and, and again, I, I know there's a lot of statistical models in the world, but I'm thinking specifically with regard to the pandemic. And I guess I'd like to think about that question, you know, both from the perspective of consumers, how might a consumer be looking at and, and using a model? And also how might, you know, a healthcare organization's leadership be looking at and using these models? These models are used to help inform decisions about how to respond to the pandemic. Um, for example, they will give you some idea of the likely future demand for healthcare resources, like the number of ICU beds that you think you're going to need to take care of the folks who are admitted at any given time. And so that way you can manage the resources accordingly. Um, another example would be um, to inform decisions about setting policies for social distancing uh, and other measures for disease containment. Um, such as testing and contact tracing. Um, in terms of um, consumers, I guess that they can use these models to get some idea of when uh, you know, the infection rate will peak in a given area. Um, and so it just will help you to, uh, I guess, assess the, the risks of any plans that you might happen to make for traveling, for getting together with people, um, and uh, you know, to think perhaps to think about the timing of when you're going to do that, and maybe what areas you're going to travel to. Are there things that models are not good for, or that we shouldn't try to use them for? Well, statistical models are really designed to predict overall population trends, um, so. One thing you want to avoid is you don't want to expect them to work very well at a very fine-grained level. You know, you can make a prediction much better of how many people might be admitted to the ICU during a month uh, as opposed to during a specific day um, because at that level, things are much more affected by random variations. Um, also, 
Of course, as you look further into the future, predictions will get less precise because there are so many different things that can change. Um, so you can't expect the model to give you a, a really accurate prediction too far into the future. You know, sometimes I hear questions you know, from people outside of healthcare, but even within, about why a model might say one thing today and another thing entirely a, a couple weeks from now. So how can we best explain why these models evolve over time? Well, that can happen for any of several reasons. Um, one is just that you get better data. Um, recall that a statistical model is essentially an equation and it has predictor value variables. So the actual values of those variables are based on data that you have collected uh, in samples where you know the outcome. Uh, if you have a, a sample of people who have been exposed to COVID-19 and uh, you know when they were exposed and you observe all of them long enough to see who, how many people get it, um, and then you can observe them to see how long they remain uh, symptomatic and so on. And so the more data like that that you collect over time, the better your estimates get uh, for the values of these variables. So part of it is just that, um, just data getting better. Um, but of course, sometimes also the situation changes. Um, there, you know, it, it may be that the virus mutates and uh, becomes more or less contagious. Um, of course, when and if we discover a treatment, then that's certainly going to change uh, the dynamics. Um, and then, you know, there may be other unrelated crises that occur that reduce the resources available to deal with the disease. Um, so all kinds of uh, factors may change over time. Um, and then another thing that can happen is sometimes the model's designers change the assumptions that they're using. Uh, an example of this is a model that is um, produced by the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. This is one where uh, the predict projections are often uh, cited uh, in, the, you know, in the news media and so on. Um, the original version of this model had the assumption that social distancing would be put in place and would continue until the epidemic was essentially eradicated, until there were almost no more new cases and any new case was controlled by tracing, um, uh, you know, contact tracing and testing. Um, now in early May, that model was revised by its designers uh, to take into account the fact that social distancing policies were starting to be relaxed in various parts of the country. And as a result, the projections for the death rates that were made by this model jumped upward dramatically. You know, you mentioned there, um, you know, as these models are, are reported on, you, that the one model in particular is, is, you know, frequently cited by the media. And as I think about that topic and, and really any kind of science reporting, you know, whether it's us at ECRI talking about these statistical models or the consumer media, or even if it's just providers talking to patients about their individual risk factors, for instance, you know, is there a good way that all of us can try to explain 
that you know these models describe if i understand them right they're describing degrees of likelihood not certainty so you know a am i right in that and 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 b how important is that distinction and how can we how can we communicate that effectively as we talk about these models yes you are right and that is a very important distinction and this is something that i really hope people will uh, take away from this podcast um, in a statistical model your predictors are factors that are associated to some extent with the outcome, but the association is never perfect, um, or else you wouldn't need a statistical model. You know, there are some situations where there is a perfect association between some predictor and the outcome. No need for statistics there because there's no uncertainty. Um, but when it comes to things like diseases, you don't know exactly how many people exposed to a disease will get it. You don't know exactly how long it will last for each person. So there's random variation that prevents you from being certain about any predictions that you make. So even though the models do make predictions, those predictions are only guesses uh, subject to some degree of uncertainty, um, which of course is just the way, just like it is with most of the predictions that we make in our everyday lives. Uh, the thing that's special about statistics is that it allows you to quantify the degree of uncertainty. Um, so a model will not only give you a point projection, which for example would be 800 people will be hospitalized with COVID-19 in New York City next month, um, but it will also give you a range of possible values around that projection. So it might say there's a 95% certainty that um, the actual number will be somewhere between 625 and 975 people. This range is often called a confidence interval um, in public health. It's often referred to as an uncertainty interval. Um, and that is your quantitative measure of just how uncertain you are in your projections. I rather like that framing of an uncertainty interval rather than a confidence interval. That's, uh, that's... Yes, <laughs> I think that's one thing that people uh, have, that's one reason that the term uncertainty interval has been used because um, it really, the idea of a confidence interval almost seems uh, counterintuitive because the larger it is, the less confidence you have. So right. <laughs> uncertainty probably is a, a more um, intuitive word to use there. Yeah, I, it suits my disposition anyway. So mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. I always like to you know, wrap up, Chris, by asking some variation on the question of what's something our listeners can do today after they listen to help make care safer. And in this context, that may not be about changing how care is provided so much as it is about educating ourselves about these statistical models. So, you know, for instance, you know, what are some key questions that people should ask as they decide how they want to use the information that they see in models that are presented? Well, the first thing I would say is to go back to what we were just talking about, which is not to focus too much on the point projections that a model makes. 
we have a natural tendency, of course, to want to do that because it's the point projections that feel like the answers uh, to the, these questions that are so important to us. Um, but because uh, they are only guesses, it's almost in a way more informative to know about the uncertainty interval around the point projections. Um, and sometimes that can have very important um, uh, policy implications. Um, if the point projection says that uh, the demand for ICU beds is going to be 85% uh, of your capacity, that sounds good. But if the uncertainty interval includes 115%, that means you've got to uh, plan for the possibility that you're going to need more beds. Hmm. Um, beyond that, uh, it's actually important to keep in mind that for any one model, um, this uncertainty interval is the range of possible values that you can expect if that model's assumptions are correct. So it's a good thing, if possible, to get some idea of what the model's assumptions are, um, which sometimes you can do just by looking at the website, you know, the, the uh, really um, most prominent models do have websites that uh, the public can view and, and you can poke around in there a little bit and get an idea of um, what the factors are that they are uh, using in their models. And you can also, you may be able to get an idea of how good the data are. So uh, those are things that a, an informed consumer can do. Uh, and finally, I guess, just to wrap up, I would say that it's a good idea uh, not to rely exclusively on any one model, um, but to look at a range of, you know, three or four, uh, maybe, uh, different models and see what the different projections are. That's the kind of thing that, um, you know, uh, weather forecasters do. They have a range of models that uh, are available to them. And instead of just picking one, they sort of make their predictions after looking at uh, the, the whole range of models. Um, so we live in the information age. It's quite easy to, with a click of the mouse to uh, look at, uh, various models now and um, so uh, that's I guess that would uh, be how I would wrap that up. The idea being with that last idea that boy if I see three or four completely independent models that are all coming with a pretty good overlap in their uncertainty interval you know the, that I'm I'm starting to gain more and more confidence as there's more more reinforcement of similar outcomes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Chris thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. You can learn more about how ECRI can help from our website at www.ecri.org, where you'll find our COVID-19 Resource Center with publicly available resources to help providers across the continuum of care, including ECRI's position paper, COVID-19 Models, Why Do Projections Differ? Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Please visit us at ecri.org slash podcasts or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.